Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. We'll give them just a moment. Uh, we recently purchased uh, several translators so that those who are Spanish-speaking only will be able to receive from God's Word. We ought to give God a hand clap for that. Yeah. Praise God for that. I love the diversity that God is bringing into this body. And um, Can I just share something with you before I read while I give them just a moment to prepare because I feel it's very, very important that we read this word together. Um, a few years back, I had a dream. And I didn't understand this dream until I look out over your faces. Do you, are you curious to hear it? Yes. So I had a dream. And I've, I've only heard like the voice of the Lord. Uh, I can count on one hand and, and have like fingers left over. I know it sounds weird, but Moses uh, heard God's voice. There are several people in the Bible. Paul heard the Lord's voice. Not to be weird, but th this happened to me, yet it was in a dream, but it felt very real. It was uh, like it physically happened to me, but yet I was dreaming. And in this dream, I was standing at this uh, large pond. It wasn't large like a lake, but a pond. And all these fish began to just pop up, belly up. I'm a fisherman. Anybody fishermen in the house who, or like to fish? So the fish begin to belly up. And when they belly up, that means they're asphyxiating and about to, to die. And um, I was frantic in the dream. And I heard the Lord's voice say, Donnie, grab these fish as quick as possible. And I began to, uh, excuse me, they were, they were belly up and then they began to flop on the land. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, get the fish in the water as quick as possible. In the dream, it was very urgent. I knew they would die and only had seconds. But as I began to approach each fish, and I mean breathlessly get them back in the water as fast as possible. I started realizing that there were many different species of fish. Some very big, some very small. There were some that were freshwater. There were some that were saltwater. There were even some of those deep blue fish that had the big tentacle that they used as a lure. You know, in the deep blue, have you ever seen any of those weird looking fish with the big teeth? And I felt the Lord say to me that this is what the body of Christ will look like, look like that you minister to, multicultured, because the Bible calls us to many different tribes, nations, and tongues. So this isn't a white church. This isn't an African-American church. This is a diverse church, not a Spanish church, but multicultured. And so I'm so thrilled to see what God lays ahead. As I look over your face, I see Japanese. I see Spanish. I see people from Dominican Republic. And some of us are from like everywhere like me. Amen. I'm just so grateful to God that he's doing that. He's called us to be a multicultural church and to step over different ethnicities to reach people for the gospel's sake. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, it says this, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, any who were Christians, any who were believers of Jesus Christ, 
whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Everybody say goads. I'll explain what that is in just a moment if you don't already know. And so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight. And he neither ate nor drank. You may have your seats. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I had uh, preached a message called what surrender looks like. It's like a curse word in the church these days. Surrender. It's against human nature to surrender. We have been taught from an early age, at least I was, I grew up in Pine Hills. Don't laugh at me. Don't you judge me. I seen a lady shaking her hand. She's like, that explains it. I, I, I love where I came from. They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth just like can anything good come out of Pine Hills? Apparently, apparently so. Surrender is a very much against nature to surrender. If you're married, how many married or have been married or are married? I see a few hands in here. In a relationship, anybody? Doesn't matter whether it's a job, you're in a relationship, you're married. Surrender is an important key when it comes to having a healthy and a non-toxic relationship. Without surrendering certain freedoms, without surrendering certain attitudes, your relationships, they will ultimately suffer. This is true in our relationship with the Lord as well. If we only, and some of us, many of us here, and I have certainly deceived myself in many different phases in my relationship with the Lord, because I thought when I first came to Jesus and I surrendered and said, Lord, you have my heart, I really thought I gave him everything. Have, have any of you felt that way before? And then as your relationship with him progresses and time goes on and you slam your finger in the door and words come out of your mouth that you know you wouldn't want the pastor to hear or you have an argument with a spouse or a friend or better yet you have your windows rolled up and you're driving on I-4 and somebody cuts you off you start realizing that everything isn't completely surrendered come on out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh and so a few weeks ago I preached this message called what surrender looks like everybody say that what surrender looks like because it looks like something. I mean, it, there's some type of visual that goes along with surrender. It has a posture of heart. 
And I use these two different paralleled scriptures. They seem diametrically opposed to each other, but they're they were really similar. They were parallel to each other. And one story was regarding a man who was the young rich ruler who had all the money, all the wealth that he could possibly need. He hears that Jesus is coming to town. And the Bible says, and I quote, that he came running and kneeling and said, Lord, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? I mean, he was really worshipful. He was I mean, I'm sure he was rakaka and shababa and all this stuff and on his knees and saying, Lord, I'll do anything until Jesus says these words to him. Go sell everything that you have, and I want you to come follow me. All of a sudden, he started hitting reverse gear. He gets up off of his knees. He's not so worshipful. He dusts those knees off, and he turns around and leaves and goes the other way. And we show up in this other scripture where it's, there's a young lady with an alabaster box. And the Bible says it was all of her livelihood. And that's really all she had. And she breaks open this alabaster box and gives everything that she owns to Jesus. That is what surrendered looks like. I want you to look at somebody this morning and say, this is what surrender looks like. Somebody's scared to look at their neighbor. I see you. Okay, I want you to, let's revise that. Let's call an audible. Look at somebody else and say, by the end of this service, I'm going to show you, come on, what surrender looks like. And we also talked about true surrender, how true surrender costs us much, but we end up with more than what we bargain for if we choose to surrender that which God wants from us and requires from us. And I have to say this, that the world calls surrendering to Jesus, everything to Jesus, a waste. But can I tell you what Jesus calls it? You know what he calls it, James? Worship. I hear a lot of people say, you don't need to tithe to the church. You don't need to go to church that much. You don't need to pray that much. You, need, you don't need to do all of that. Don't waste your time. Don't invest all of that time. Where the world calls it waste, Jesus calls it worship. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And the truth of the fact and the fact of the matter is, is that the only person who can be truly used by the Lord is the person who's truly and fully surrendered. Because the Holy Spirit is a spirit. Everybody say a spirit. Spirits inhabit bodies. And the only way that the Holy Spirit can use you in your life is to only to the degree by which you surrender fully. And there's many people in this room, as I scan this room, if I had a spiritual, uh, what do you call those monitors that you, uh, detector. And I went around this room, I got a feeling that all of us, to some type of degree, has something that we have not surrendered. Some, for some of us, there's attitudes that we haven't surrendered some of us, it's not attitudes. Some of it's habits that we haven't surrendered. For some of us, it's a job, or for many of us men in the room who have to know, you know what we're going to make every single week so we can provide for our family. And any time that there's not that certain amount of income coming in, we get stressed out and we start tra- treating our family and our children irritably because we haven't surrendered because we don't look at God as our provider. We look at us as our provider. So there's many different faces 
as it relates to surrender. But today I want to shift this message, and my, message, my, my heart hasn't lifted from this stream, and I've, I'm glad that we circled back. Does everybody remember when I preached that message about surrender? Everybody say, what surrender looks like. But today, the Lord laid another message on my heart in that very same line, but it's entitled, What Surrender Feels Like. Everybody say, What Surrender Feels Like. Can I tell you one thing that surrender feels like? It feels scary. Everybody say, It feels scary. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to I read because it's, it's so beautifully laid out in this particular scripture in Acts chapter 9. It says, As he journeyed... It was Paul that the scripture is referring to as he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why hast thou persecuting me? I'm not reading the King James Version. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, the Lord? And the Lord Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting for it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Everybody say the goads. So he trembling, and I would just want to highlight that part. Then he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He was surrendering. Everybody say he was surrendering. We're a talking back kind of church because some of you, your eyes start to dim on me a little bit. When you talk back, it kind of wakes you up. And, and, and so it's, he's almost in a way oxymoronic in a way, if I could say it like that. I know that's not so nice, but so Paul is on his way to murder Christians. D did you know that? He was a murderer. Before he was a preacher of the Bible who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, you guys do know that he wrote two-thirds of that New Testament. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all of these books in the Bible, Romans, this guy that we glean from, this guy that I preach from his his, I mean, I steal his messages every Sunday. This guy is on his way to murder people like me and you. And yet he's trembling at the Lord's voice. Isn't, isn't it funny how Paul is not afraid of murdering Christians, but he's afraid of the voice of the Lord? And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. That the enemy has tricked the body of Christ into fearing the holy things of God while embracing toxic things. Do you see how quickly we surrender ourselves to things that aren't healthy for us or contribute to the, to the health of our relationship with the Lord, but we're quick to get into toxic relationships or jobs that the Lord has not called us to? Come on, am I the only one who thinks that way and who sees that? It's amazing how even the enemy has crept into the church and perverted that which God has called holy. And everybody is okay with announcements, with a 30-minute worship set, but as soon as somebody starts, starts speaking in tongues or blowing a chauffeur or giving a prophetic word, all of a sudden we get all scared as if somebody, something's going to jump on, off on us. But when Friday night comes around, y'all ain't scared to go to the club. I got a little hood on y'all. I told y'all it's from Pine Hills. Let, let me make it a little bit more practical. We're super spiritual when it comes to oh, coming into church, and we can discern what is from God and what is not from God, but it's okay to live outside of marriage. Let me hide behind this pulpit really quick so they don't throw stones at me. Am I preaching to the right crowd this morning? He's, he's afraid of the wrong things. Look at somebody and say, don't be afraid of the wrong things. 
You know why most people are afraid of full surrender to the Lord? It's not because we don't think he's good. It's not because we don't think he's holy. It's because we're afraid of what he's going to ask us to let go of. All this entire time as he's persecuting Christians, this guy who's kicking against the goad. Isn't it funny how there are people, there are people in this room and I have been at this place in my life where I was thinking I was serving God, but I was serving myself. Thinking we're doing God's will, thinking we're in the right job, thinking we're in the right career, thinking we're in the right Dating the right person. I was about to say marriages, but if you're married, it's tough, tough cookies. You're going to have to stay married. It's God's will now. I'm going to have fun this morning. So we're afraid of what he's going to request of us. But can I tell you this? As I'm growing in my relationship, can I just have a heart to heart with you? Can I just speak from the heart and not be preachy about this? Just take off all the... I haven't always wanted to totally please God. I thought I did. Going to church for many years, now 20 years plus. I thought I had surrendered everything. And then you get married and you realize you have not surrendered everything. And I'm learning. It's like this is the DS version. I know it's not in the Bible, but marriage doesn't, isn't going to make you happy. It makes you holy. It, 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 it shows you how selfish you are. Especially Friday night, because that's our you know, date nights when we go out to eat. I don't want to go where she wants to go. You know? I just want to go where I want to go. All these little things. I'm, I'm being funny, but, but, but as I'm learning, as I'm walking with Jesus daily, sometimes tripping and falling, I'm learning how precious surrender is. Because in my young Christian mind, when I surrendered, I lost out on certain things. But really, when you follow Jesus, he only requests those things because he wants to make more room for the things that are a part of your destiny, that are a part of your calling, and that are a part of who you're supposed to become. Did you catch that? Not who you are right now, but who you are supposed to become. Because we're all in a type of evolution no, I'm not an evolution preacher, but what I'm saying is, just like Paul said, until Christ is formed in me. That is the will of God for every believer, is to be conformed. Come on, am I preaching the Bible this morning? To be conformed. It is God's will that we become conformed, that we change into, that we evolve into the image of God. Until when God looks at your lifestyle, he sees his son, Jesus. So this is what happens, is when you become more like Christ and you surrender more, because that's what Jesus laid out, a lifestyle of surrender. And the more you surrender, the more you make room for kingdom in your life. The more you make room and position, it's all about positioning. Surrender is like this. And we think it's waving the white flag, but it's so much more of that. Surrender and lifting your hands in worship or this type of heart posture in the believer's life is a sign of I want to let everything go because I don't want what I want for my life. I want to let go of what I want because I want what you want. Because what you want is peace, it's joy, it's contentment. Come on. It's kingdom finances. It's a, it's a godly lifestyle. It's purpose. How many want that in their lives? 
So we're letting go so that we can make more room for him to establish his kingdom in and through our lives, in and through our marriages. Come on, in and through your school, no matter where you're at. You might be young in this place. And I can tell you the most critical principle you can learn at your young age, especially for those of you who are 25 and under, is living a life of surrender. Because as you learn to surrender, you're learning that all God is trying to do is make room for more of him in your life because it's all about positioning. Say, the Lord is positioning me as I surrender to him. I want to tell you a quick story. Early when I surrendered my life to the Lord, I was in my late teens. And I, and I had a bona fide, I mean a bona fide encounter with the Lord. And I thought I had fully surrendered. And I was listening. I was still dabbling in certain things. I didn't really realize it because I was new at this. I hung around you know, people that didn't have anything to do with church. And so I got saved. And so I was caught between a thicket. I was too saved to hang out with those people who were doing what they used to do, but I wasn't saved enough to hang out with the church people. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Like you feel intimidated, like I can't hang out with them. They're too sanctified, and yet you don't want to go hang out with the unsanctified bunch because you don't want to, you know, evil company corrupts good habits. So I was really caught in that uh, middle ground for, for many, many years. And so I would go to these meetings with my brother. They were church services. And I grew up in like revival. Friday night service, they would play worship and really intense times. Your knees would be knocking. But, but right when I had got saved, I started going to these Friday night meetings. And so, so I, I walked in there thinking I'm totally surrendered to the Lord. And all of a sudden, and I'm seeing these people praying. I'm seeing them worshiping. And all of a sudden, I start to tremble. And I start getting all these bad thoughts in my head. And I started hearing this voice, leave now, get out of here. These people are out of their minds. And I start to tremble. Now, here's the only thing. Here's the only thing that kept me there because I knew my brother's ex-lifestyle before he'd got saved. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm hearing that this place is evil. This is not good. What is this witchcraft? They're praying in tongues and doing all these different crazy things. I'm like, this is just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But the only thing that kept me there was knowing there is no way that my brother could be the changed man that he is now and this be evil. And plus, I didn't have a ride home. I was a couple miles from home. I'm like, it's either walk or figure this thing out. And all of a sudden, it got so bad I couldn't stand to my feet any longer. And I dropped to my knees, and I, re- I believe the chairs were blue just like this. I dropped to my knees, and I couldn't even take it no more. I mean, my mind was being bombarded with all these terrible thoughts. And, and I got up 30 minutes later. It's like I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I was completely free. I was bound. I was bound with these, these tormented thoughts. Let me just, can I make a little injection? If you ever, in these services, feel an urgency to leave in the middle of service, and you begin to have anxiety, tormenting thoughts, immoral thoughts. Tor- your, let me just say this. I say this lovingly. That is a demon that is tormenting your mind. And, and you may think you want to leave, but it wants to leave. That deserves just a tiny bit of a hand clap right there. 
and you have my permission, we are so unreligious here. We are so unreligious that even while I'm preaching, if you're battling with something, you are welcome to come lay on this altar because things happen at this altar. Demons get casted out. People get set free. If you need peace in your mind, so we are very, we're free, yet we like divine order. Come on, somebody say order. Divine order. You'll find that about me really quickly. But isn't it amazing how, how when we're so far from the Lord, we don't even realize it. We, we, we shun those things that are holy like Paul was doing. He was afraid of the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord was there to change him and to impart destiny and to change the course of his life. He was going down a terrible road. And he's trembling at the voice of the Lord. I, I want to give you one last quick story. In 2014, I had... I had prayed and I had fasted about uh, marrying my wife. Was this 2013, maybe? 2013, 2014. It was regarding my wife, and we were dating at the time. I don't know why the Lord has me going here, but I, I believe it's going to be helpful to somebody in this room. I, I really struggle with this, and the Lord gave me literally like 13 confirmations. I've never had that many confirmations about one thing at all, ever. Can I tell you just one of them? So the Lord, I've read the story about Joshua, and Joshua is going to fight against an army. Are you following me? He's going to fight against an army, and he's afraid. And he says, Lord, I need you to tell me if you're going to give me victory. And the Lord, he, 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 he does what's called a fleece. A fleece is like you, I'll just tell you what the fleece was. He said, Lord, I'm going to take this piece of sheepskin, and I'm going to put it outside my tent. And as I put it outside the tent, when I wake up in the morning, let the, let the sheepskin, I'm going to lay two of them out there. Let one be wet, one be dry. Did I get that right, Rick? He, he wakes up the next morning, and it is, that he, is as he just said. Let, let one side, let it be wet. And then the next day, he's like, Lord, if you really mean this, I'm going to put the sheepskin out again. And if it's dry, so he swapped it. He said, if it's dry, I'll know that you're going to give me victory. He puts the sheepskin outside, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's not wet. It's dry, just like he had prayed. I pray this in the morning. I go to work, and I've never had this happen since. I walk into my client's house, and it's a bedroom that we are not, we're not renovating. And she says, hey, well, you can store all of our furniture in here. I work in, I work in the painting industry. So I, I, I walk in the bedroom, and I look on one side of the bed and the other side of the bed, and I think to myself, there is no way in the world that that sheepskin. I go and I pick it up, and it's sheepskin. I look on the back of it because it's written in a different language, and I Google it, and it's sheepskin. I had 13 confirmations like that. And so I'm struggling with it. And because I had so many wounds in my past with rejection, childhood issues, abandonment, the loss of my father when I was nine, all these different abandonment, rejection issues. And, and my good friend Rick, who's sitting in the front row over here, he said, Donnie, you have to go through with this marriage. You know it is of the Lord. Well, I started coming up with a hundred different reasons why I shouldn't get married to her. You know, I wanted to, I was a runner. And she told me that after we got married. You're just a runner. You just, you just, you know. I was. I was a runner. But, but, as, but as I began to allow my mind to go in that direction, tormenting thoughts would start. Can I help somebody out this morning? If you think in a certain direction, this is very practical help. I want to show you how the enemy works. I'm going to tell on him. 
If you start thinking of a way out of something and you're planning to go through with it, in your mind, the more and more you indulge in certain thoughts going in that direction, you know it's the enemy wanting you to jump ship. Did you hear what I say? But if, if staying or going through with it gives you peace, like the God kind of peace, you know it's the Lord's will for you. So here's, here's what the Lord is saying this morning. Allow peace to be your guide because Jesus is peace. Did you hear what I said? Amen. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to make the will of God seem scary to you, particularly surrender in your life. He's wanting it to look scary because he doesn't want you to ultimately fulfill God's calling in your life. He wants you to stop short. His goal, he has a goal for you. God has a goal for you. The enemy has a goal for you. God's goal is for you to reach your finish line. The enemy's goal is for you to abort it's to stop short. It's you, for you to live an unfulfilled life. It's not for you not to live destiny life, but it's to live a life that is stopped short of the calling of God in your life. See, freedom is not scary. And that's what the enemy will try to make your freedom look like, scary. I don't want these people laying hands on me. Well, let me ask you this. Is staying home, watching soap operas, and staying in your, uh, your, your depression or in your anxiety the will of God for your life? Or would you have some, rather have some hands laid on you? Would you rather hear the gospel? Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Isn't it funny how the Lord, we, we make this excuse, uh, you know, the Lord lives at my house. I can worship the Lord at home. And I agree with all of that. But there's something to be said about when you get around the saints of God. You know why that, this is why the enemy, it's so funny how, how the, how, all these things that have unfolded in the United States and around the globe is, has been an attempt to keep the body from gathering. Oh, I ain't going to get too many amens on that. I know. But, but because he says where two are, are gathered, there I am in the midst. Not when you gather by. Now, I, I know the Lord can divinely visit you. But listen, he said he's going to build his church. And he cannot build his church while you stay on your blessed assurance at home. God wants us to gather because it's where the, the body is. He can move in a multifaceted way whereby we can be blessed, whereby we can be encouraged, whereby we can be poured into by other people, where we can find connectivity, where we can find fellowship. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And when torment is going on, it's because the Lord has a purpose, but the enemy is trying to get you to run. Surrender feels scary. Everybody say, surrender feels scary. On the other hand, God can call you to do something that seems very scary, yet when you yield to the thought of doing it and it gives you a sense of peace, it's the Lord. Always remember that. I want to drive that point home. Anytime that you have a sense of peace and joy and fulfillment, doing whatever it is that you feel called to do, know that is the Lord's leading, if it's scriptural, if it lines up with the word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Number two, I thought this was really powerful. Surrender feels like relief. How many are tired in this room? Tired of running. Tired of doing your will. Tired of doing things your way. I want to read this to you, and I want to show you something, and then I'm going to close. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Feels like relief. Surrender feels like relief. It says this, then he fell to the ground 
And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, the Lord? Watch this. Then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. I just want to give one little point that just, just popped up in my mind just now. Do you, do, you want to, do you want to hear what it is? Thank you, Holy Spirit. The Lord just spoke to my heart. Sometimes surrender is when you have to depend upon somebody else's spiritual eyesight for your life because you've relied on your own for too long. That was surrender to Saul. Many of us trying to do our own thing. How's that working? God can work with anything except a lack of surrender. I want you to see this picture. This is what I was talking about. This, this is called, this is an ancient goad. Everybody say a goad. This is, this is what was used to inspire the flock to move. It's actually like a pointy knife is, is really what it was. It has a hook on it that way if they're going astray, the shepherd would hook them and pull them back into the flock. Or if they were oxen that they were using and they weren't treading the ground fast enough, they would be goaded. And sometimes if they weren't moving fast enough and the shepherd would try to get them to move, what the ox would do is it would kick against the it would kick against the goad. And this is why Jesus said to Paul, it's hard to kick against the goad. It's hard to kick against God's will. I'm gonna just let that just sink just for a second because right it's gonna sit really well in just a moment. You know why most people, Christian or not, feel tired and weary? You know what weariness is a sign of? Fighting. Kicking against the goad. Why do I say this is what surrender feels like? It's because when we stop kicking against the goad, meaning God's will, you will experience relief. You know why many of us don't experience relief? It's because we're still kicking against the will of God for our lives. And I believe this is what God is saying in this hour. For the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about for the body of Christ. Do you know why God uses a goad in our life? He uses goads, Rick when we haven't learned to hear his voice. So what do I mean by a goad? 
Jesus. Why does he use a goad? When you can't hear his voice, he uses pain to move you in his direction. In the direction that he wants you to go. Pray for her, Rick. God uses, oftentimes, we don't want to say it, that God is always the God of peace. He's the God of joy. He's the God of fulfillment. But we don't talk about how when we don't hear his voice, we don't, when we don't understand his leading, Mike, he will use a goad to point us, to point us in the right direction. Pain, heartache, suffering. Don't pay attention to that. I need everybody to pay attention to this. Do not get distracted. Do not get distracted. He'll use his goad. He'll use that pointed part. Because if we can't hear his voice, oh, you want scripture. Where is that at, preacher? Look at Psalms chapter 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your I love how the Passion's translation lays it out. Before I was humbled. Let me give you the DSV version. Before I surrendered, I used to always wander in my own way. But now I see the wisdom of your words. I see the wisdom in you wanting me to stay, Lord. I see the wisdom in you wanting me to get this new job. I see the wisdom in you wanting me to stick it out in this marriage. I see the wisdom. I see the wisdom. Everybody just hold up your hand. God uses his goats to get you going in the direction that he wills for your life. What am I trying to say? Affliction leads to surrender. Surrender. That's the key, Christian. Surrender. You cannot surrender here. It doesn't work here. The kingdom does not work here. It doesn't happen. It's here. The kingdom of God is not here or there. The kingdom is within. We surrender with our heart. And the only control that the believer has in his or her life is you think. We think we have control. That's the only control we ultimately have. And when we think the Lord uh, simply wants us to surrender, so because men have treated us wrong, women have treated us wrong, circumstances have treated us wrong, and we don't trust the process. But listen, the Lord doesn't want you to surrender so he can hurt you more. He wants you to surrender so he can get the, his will done. You can put your hands down. How many of you have children? When they get a cut, when they get hurt, especially when they were little, two or three years old, and they have a little cut, and you're trying to put neosporin on it, you're trying to bandage the wound, and they're squealing and flailing and don't want you to nurse them back to health, but it's all for their good. This is how God works. And I even feel him and sense him this morning just saying, surrender, surrender, surrender so I can heal you, surrender so I can mend that marriage. You know why people, many people struggle in marriage? I keep just feeling that this morning. When we're wanting our own way, 
there's all these contentions, you struggle in relationships, it's because it's a lack of surrender. Wonder why you struggle in your job? It's a lack of surrender. Surrender to the process. Wonder why you struggle on the worship team? It's because you haven't surrendered. Come on, I'm trying to make it practical for somebody this morning. And lastly, I want to close with this, and I want you to stand to your feet. Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning? Surrender feels like unstuck. Surrender feels unstuck. Now listen to this. Think about the apostles the apostles life at that point. On one hand, it seems like he's successful. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the chief of Pharisees. He can read and quote verbatim the first 5 books of the Bible from Genesis to Leviticus verbatim. He's a teacher of the law. He's the highest ranking religious leader in the Bible, a Pharisee. Yet to the so that's to the untrained eye, but but nobody who murders people for a living is happy on the inside. Why do you think he was so quick to surrender? Cuz he was tired of doing things his way. So do you know what surrender feels like this morning? Unstuck. I got a feeling there's a few of you in here who have been feeling serving the Lord for years singing for the Lord for years but you're stuck stuck some of you in this room knowing on the inside that you're unhappy and con- to continue to fight now hear hear me hear what i say to continue to fight surrendering is to stay bound don't fight your freedom this morning whatever it is i don't know what you're fighting against this may not apply to somebody but i know it applies to somebody's this morning don't fight your freedom look at somebody really gently just look at him and raise your eyes to him and say don't fight your freedom don't fight your freedom mom We think in our minds, oh, Lord, don't highlight this area of my life. I've been like this for so long. Some of you are afraid of freedom because you've been that way for so long. I've been in fear so long. I've been in torment so long. I've been bound so long. I'm afraid of peace. You know, I stood here 3 weeks ago and I looked at a man with streams of tears coming down his face. I would never call his name out. He's not here. This is so heavy. I've never heard of this kind of abuse in my life and he had told me he would be okay with me sharing it, certainly not sharing his name. And my heart was broken for him because he stayed he stayed in his place and just wept as i preached about this word surrender and you know what he told me he told me his parents his mother was a prostitute and when he would leave when they would leave at night he was 4 years old and they would cage him in the dog's cage 
and they would lock and put a padlock on it so that they can go out and sell their drugs and do whatever they were doing. And I watched him stay in that seat and I knew he was not surrendering that forgiveness. So he stayed, he stayed in that seat as my heart broke as I watched him, Mom. Streams of tears coming down his face. And I know, I knew that I made the altar call and he stayed right there and just wept. And he didn't move. He wouldn't surrender. I don't know about you, but I want true change and transformation in my life. And I don't know about, I don't know what it is that you're not surrendering this morning or if it's anything you haven't surrendered. Can I just say it? There's some of you ladies in here. I'm not going to just pick on the ladies. Some of you need to surrender your tongue to the Lord and ask him to sanctify it. Some of you men in here are battling with control. You want to control everything. You need to surrender that. There's only one that there's only one man that should be in control of our lives. One person, even the Holy Spirit, do you know he doesn't even control? He leads. True men lead. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.